yeah. got to direct that excitement mm-hmm. um, to what you want as a company. And ideally, you've only got to help everybody in the organization find out what floats their boat and what's in it for them to do that. I think organizations need to understand, think about, leaders need to think about the two. What's the purpose and how do you communicate that? Mm-hmm. How do you make people feel that they're, they're doing a proper job? Tom, it's lovely to have you today. Thank you so much for being here. Um, So for those that don't know you, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your role at Will It Make the Boat Go Faster? Yep, I am the co-founder with um, Ben Hunt-Davis, who is an Olympic gold medalist oarsman. He won a gold medal in Sydney in 2000. Uh, We founded the business 11 years ago and we describe ourselves as a performance consultancy. Uh, So we take the principles, the practices, the mindset, the way of working from Olympic gold medalists into everyday life for individuals, for teams and for organisations. And we're based in Hammersmith in West London and we have a small and perfectly formed team. Uh, It's been a fantastic journey for 11 years, um, dealing with small startups through to emerging teams, emerging companies and some of the largest companies you will have heard of in in the world, as it were, Um, Mm -hmm. all sorts. Um, And prior to that, I've spent probably about 15, 20, 18 years or so in this whole role of leadership development. Mm -hmm. I worked for an American business, I worked for an English business, Mm -hmm. I had my own business. Mm -hmm. So I've sort of seen leadership and performance from different angles. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then finally, the rowing connection was really interesting when I met Ben. rode at university, I rode in the boat race in yep. Oxford for one year in 1980. Uh-huh. Um, so I've got that sort of rowing anchor as it were, mm-hmm. uh, and then all the leadership performance. So it's been a magical connection to come into, will it make the boat go faster? Yeah. Um, so here in your background there, you've obviously spent loads of, lots of years in leadership and development and performance. What is it that interested you about that kind of line of work? What, what drove you to it? Um, I think it was probably the sort of curiosity, both intellectual and practical. Mm-hmm. How do you get more out of yourself and how do you get more out of other people mm-hmm. in the workplace, I think? Mm-hmm. Um, it always, you know, companies do well, they do badly. Mm-hmm. They, why? Why do they do well and they do badly? And of course, some of them have competitive advantage based on um, their location or what it is they sell. But m- most people don't have that. They mm-hmm. all have competitive advantage only through the people they employ. Mm-hmm. So how do you, what do you do? How do you get the best out of the people you employ in pursuit of the, the goal that you want to, to have for the business? And that was always a sort of interest of mine. I became a manager fairly early on in my career. Mm-hmm. Client teased me years ago. I always remember. Um, said, "Tom, I bet when you were young, all you wanted to be when you grew up was in charge." <laughs> <laughs> and there's a certain element, disappointingly, in that. But um, no, I've always been interested in in that whole aspect of leadership. Yeah. With that, what is it about effective leaders? What what attributes do they have? that enable them and their organization to be successful um, compared to some that are less successful, for instance? Yeah, I I think um, it's an understanding that it's not what you do to people. I think there's an awful lot of energy put into what it takes to be a leader. You distribute leadership skills. 
Mm -hmm. uh, leadership is a connection, really. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there's a great definition I always love of what is leadership, which is exciting others to exceptional performance. Mm -hmm. So the point of leadership is to get exceptional performance. Mm -hmm. But how do you do it? Well, you need to excite people. You can't just tell them to be excited. Mm -hmm. You have to do a whole series of interactions and communications with people. So I think starting from that point, your job as a leader is to excite. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, I go back one more. You've got to excite yourself before yeah. you excite others. And we have a wonderful phrase in our business, which is one dead battery can't charge another. Yeah. There's no point in going out and trying to excite others if you're not excited yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think it starts with you as a leader yourself. What floats your boat? What motivates you? Uh, why do you want to do this? Mm -hmm. And getting really clear on that and then seeing how you can take that excitement to to others. And of course you need to be skillful. Yeah. Um, but I think it really starts with you know, your desire to be a leader, your values as a leader, um, your excitement to be a leader. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And obviously leading your, your own company, you have to excite and um, motivate your team. What is it that, you know, excites you and how, how do you, you know, bring that forward in your daily work? I think I look back and I, I've always enjoyed startups. Mm -hmm. um, I remember Ben and I sitting uh, in an office in Hammersmith with a desk about the size of this. Yeah. We had a wonderful assistant called Ella Hewton and we set off on the 1st of September 2012 mm -hmm. with nothing mm -hmm. and off we went. And I love that whole energy uh, mm -hmm. that's needed to get the whole snowball, you know, it takes the energy to move the snowball, yeah. but once it starts going down the hill, it's um, so I like that early energy. I like doing uh, what everything that needs to be done to get the whole thing up and running. Mm -hmm. um, and you have the grandest of strategies and the best of intentions, and then somebody comes in and gives you something, and you, oh, well, you know, you'll do anything in the early days. I always admire people who stick to their early strategies. Yeah. I, we we profess stick to your strategies the end or yeah. the middle of your business but the early days is yeah. just do anything and get anything get momentum into your business so yeah. I love that yeah um, and then you realize it's not all about you you mm -hmm. realize you have to do it through other people that's another inflection point so um, I think leaders have different attributes and different energies at different stages in the company's growth mm -hmm. so the bit I've described is you know the first year or two where anything goes and then you realize that I've got to employ some other people and they're going to go through them um, but you're still paying a large part. And then actually the big move again comes, and it came with us at about year five or six while we employed a managing director, yeah. um, which was a great move, and having to work through him to others. Yeah. So you're managing others who are managing, so yeah. you're not doing everything yourself. So, so your, your ups and downs, your, your motivations change with the cycle of the, of, of the business. So. Yeah. So you talk there about your vision and your excitement and obviously at the start that's when you know you love that snowball or pushing that up the hill when, once you get it to a point that you know you've got other people on you said they're year five and you know and you know probably earlier than that how how do you as a leader um share your vision um not just with you know Know, the leaders that you've employed on your team but then also the, the team members as well because obviously you started the company it's your vision but like how, how do you how do you yeah. ensure that trickles down good question so we stick religiously to as you probably would expect us to to the um, principles the performance principles of will it make the work go faster mm -hmm. so Ben's story was uh, 
he was an underperforming um, Olympic athlete. He'd mm -hmm. been to two Olympic Games and seven World Championships and had lost all of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, they decided they needed to, in their third attempt to win a gold medal, um, do things differently. So mm -hmm. born of this question, born, born of this moment of realization that we're not going to win a gold medal by doing the same thing, mm -hmm. came this question of if I do this or if I do that, will it make the boat go faster? Yeah. So we um, borrow very heavily from that yeah. um, and we have a really clear crazy goal in our business which is to um, make sure that everybody has gold medals. Yeah. Uh, our, our job is to help them get their gold medal mm -hmm. and all our employees get their gold medals. Mm -hmm however they describe it. And then we put underneath that things which we call concrete goals, mm -hmm. the very measurable attributes. And mm -hmm. then underneath that, we put the areas of focus, which we call the control layer. Mm -hmm. uh, and I explain all that because that's what we do to communicate to our team. And every quarter we have a day with all the team and we work through assiduously the crazy goal, mm -hmm. the concrete goals, the control layer and the everyday layer. So mm -hmm. you may have seen that picture, of a man sweeping the floor at NASA yep. and when asked what he's doing, I'm helping put a man on the moon. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're trying to catch. You know, everybody should know what they're doing to play their part in the crazy goal, as we call it, at the top. So, mm -hmm. so we tend to use that, but of course that's the rather left brain structured side. Yep. You have to obviously do the emotive, exciting part as well. Mm -hmm. So I think leadership um, and communication to wide numbers of people is absolutely the structure, mm -hmm. but it has also to have the excitement. And if you have one and not the other, you just not get what you need to get. Mm. So. Yeah, well, that's interesting there. Like the, the excitement is one thing and you can have the passion and enthusiasm, but if you know the structure is not in place, and as you've said there, you've got different the layers. The direction is not in place. You, you can get excitable people, but they go off you know, like fireworks all over the place. You've yeah. got to direct that excitement mm -hmm. um, to what you want as a company. Mm -hmm. And ideally, you've gone and got to help everybody in the organization find out what floats their boat and what's in it for them to do that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're an organization of a thousand people, the chances of getting everyone to personally connect with the goal that you're trying to achieve, yeah, it's quite hard. Yeah. Uh, it's quite difficult, but you have to do that as lead. You have to give everyone the opportunity to work out what's in it for me Mm -hmm. to work my ass off for what you've decided is important. But, yeah. You know, help me understand, give me time to work it through. Yeah. Um, and that's a really important part of leadership, is helping other people make the decision to row in the boat. Yeah. Rather than telling them they're in there to row in the boat. Yeah. So, I mean, that's interesting there. You know, it's, you're saying it's, it's easier at maybe a smaller level because, you know, you can individually like understand what floats these people's boats, but at a larger scale, that becomes more complex. I know you've worked with a range of clients from, you know, small startups to large corporates. So, I mean, how in your work do you, do you go about doing that at a larger scale because i think that's one of the main issues that people face it's like how how do you make it scalable yeah i think you're quite right you know, the early days you're all sitting around a small room like this and everybody can hear what everyone else is saying and it's an energy and all this mm -hmm. and i don't know what the magic number is but people generally say the ideal is to keep your company or your unit uh, below 100. Mm -hmm. in 100 you know everybody you know mm -hmm. their names and what their partners' names are. You've got a sense of community. So rather than having a thousand in a room, 
room and yeah. we have 10 times 100 so you can keep those pods. So one thing that we work with in big companies is small divisions of big companies, okay. that seems to be. Um, but you're right, it's quite challenging. So I think communication is a really clear part of it. It always amazes me how little leaders communicate. Mm -hmm. And they'll send a memo or an email, but they won't actually go around and spend time talking to people. Mm -hmm. They seem to think it's not their job. I'd rather go back to my technology or my insurance or my banking, whatever it might be. Yeah. I think there's a huge opportunity for leaders to simply spend time mm -hmm. talking about discussing what we're here to do, why it's important, the significance of it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's lost, particularly lost when people aren't physically in the room. Mm -hmm. Post-COVID, well, you have to double your efforts in that. Mm -hmm. Technology doesn't help, I don't think. You know, mostly people who are listening to this will, I bet you, have five Teams meetings. Yeah. And you'll go through the Teams meeting, bang, 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 and then you'll stop and you'll go, Where, where's all that softer time? Yeah to get people to really understand and buy in and be engaged in what you're trying to get them to do. And that's the manager's and the leader's job. Yeah. And, and let's say you said there about post-pandemic and obviously now we're all online, we're all remote and not always in the same room. And sometimes there's, you know, teams meeting fatigue. So how, how should or could leaders, you know, have these softer conversations that you're talking there? Um, in the digital world that we find ourselves in today? I think the medium is getting in the way of the, not the message, the wrong way around of saying that. The medium is preventing people from thinking they can have one-to-one. -one. We're having a conversation sitting on now, but we could easily have this one-to-one yeah. -one on, on Teams. Mm -hmm. But we seem to have chosen to have Teams as a process of group meetings yeah. or functional meetings. So I think we are going to have to all grow up to the point that it doesn't matter what the medium is, mm -hmm. you can still have the same quality of conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have to force that really, you, know, you, have, to, you have to sort of make, make it happen, I think, mm -hmm. practice it. Yeah. Otherwise, I think you're going to be um, asking everyone to come in to have meaningful conversations, which is a bit of the old world. And I fully understand the need and I fully agree with the need to bring people into businesses. Mm -hmm. I think it's a crying shame, particularly for younger employees, not to be in a business with other people. Mm -hmm. They can't learn, they can't socialize, they can't get excited. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that people are working from home. Yeah. So how do you square that as a leader? Mm -hmm. um, and I think you've got to have that one-to-one -one messaging conversation through teams because the alternative is what? You see them once every month and that's yeah. how it goes. So, yeah. Yeah, so, so so using the tech to, to have these conversations and, and creating a, a, a cultural um, kind of a, a cultural um, kind of change around being able to have these communications yeah. and I mean before the telephone yeah. you went and saw someone and yeah. then the telephone arrived what did we do then we didn't not go and see yeah. so I think then the video and then you know teams and working from home is exaggerated and accentuated it but you're absolutely right I think we've got to just realize there's a transition we're going to have to use the tools to achieve our aims rather than blaming the tool yeah and and I guess, you know, we hear this a lot around creating a, like a feedback or a coaching kind of culture and that, that is, you know, important to get the, the best out of your teams. I mean, what, what is your approach to creating this culture of like feedback and, um, you know, as you're saying, softer conversations? What approach do you use? It? 
Well, I think the first confusion is that feedback is separate from softer conversations. Yep. You know, I can be soft or hard in inverted commas with my feedback. Yep. So um, I think that one of the perceptions of feedback is that it's it's difficult. You know, you mm -hmm. get difficult feedback. Or yeah. It's basically giving giving information from outside to the person to do with it what they want. So. Mm -hmm. And Ben, again, one of the really interesting things, they created in their crew a culture, an obligation to give feedback. Okay. So um, there was a famous phrase, John Brockway, his boatman, whose job was to drive the boats around the regattas and things. No, he was one of the team of 40 outside the squad, the rowing squad, who were all briefed, not only to do their job of driving, mm -hmm. but also their job was, their obligation was to give feedback to anyone else mm -hmm. if they saw an improvement needed or if they saw something going well. Mm. Because if they didn't do that, the Ben's phrase or John's phrase was they were deliberately setting out to make the boat go slower. Okay. So why would I not tell you something? Yeah. Um, and that was because they had this clear goal that they were all united around. Mm -hmm. The reason I gave you feedback is to help that, us achieve that goal, mm -hmm. not for me to get one over you. Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of feedback is just me get one over you and I'll tell you off and you'll learn something. So, yeah. um, I think the point is feedback must help accelerate the journey to what you are collectively trying to achieve. That's the real point of it. Mm -hmm. yeah, so but you've got to work at it. So it's got to be a culture. You've got to set it out early on and yeah. you've got to practice and practice and keep at it. Mm -hmm. um, and another small point. Um, well, actually not so small really it's one of the pieces that holds a lot of teams together is what we call team rules yeah being really clear about the what as i've described what are the goals but also being really clear about the how you do it mm -hmm. and we create with our clients and with our own team what we call team rules yeah and they might be simple stuff like turn up for meetings on time but it might be stuff which is you know when you see something tell the person mm -hmm. feedback it might be do more of this, do less of that. Mm -hmm. Each team creates their own way of working. Yeah. And you put those up in the meeting room and you review them all the time. We review them every two weeks. Mm -hmm. Our team rules and we take four of them and say, how are we doing on each of them? Mm -hmm. So it becomes a, a discipline. Yeah. You can't just do it once and then expect the world to change. Yeah. Um, I think that's the bit that the the Olympic principles that we bring in. I think a lot of clients, individuals, misunderstand what Olympians do. Yeah. They row for four years yeah. for a five minute race. Yeah. And they practice and they practice and practice. The other way around, we practice for five minutes in business and we do stuff for four years. Yeah. So I think we've got to be much more balanced. We've got to practice what we preach more. Yeah. And keep ourselves hard at things like team roles or communicating the goals or whatever. Yeah. What are some of the things that we as employees and you know leaders across the organization can do to to integrate these behaviors into everyday culture across organizations uh i think the first thing is what we just discussed which is uh, getting the discipline of reviewing what you're doing mm -hmm. you know, having a culture identified is not a culture executed mm -hmm. so you've got to keep at it mm -hmm. um, and i think the discipline of doing it and discipline's sort of rather hard word but actually if you think of what Olympians do they mm -hmm. discipline themselves for training sessions mm -hmm. if any of your listeners are wanting to run a marathon or something you know, they've got to have a discipline in how they approach their diet their running their stretching all the rest of the things you do to be a top performer in running um, 
but it's a discipline. It's exactly the same with uh, culture in the business. You've got to have a discipline in reviewing it, and understanding what it is, sharing it, reviewing it. Mm -hmm. so that's a large part, and I think danger of leaders doing it two or three times and getting bored and moving on to the next shiny mm -hmm. thing. There. Mm -hmm. So that's one bit. But two, I think before that, you've got to be really clear what type of culture you want to have. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm always amazed at how leaders sort of observe a culture developing without feeling that they've got any influence over, over that. And mm -hmm. one of the key parts of a leader is to identify the culture, create it and um, keep it going, you know, keep the discipline of it. Mm -hmm. um, so a client of mine recently, I always remember, he was looking over and said, oh, it's really disappointing the culture we've got in this company. Well, what are you going to do about it then? Yeah. You know, it's your job. Yeah. He sort of had a mind block and thought it was somehow something he shouldn't touch or couldn't touch or yeah. was developing elsewhere. And it's not true. You know, culture is a, uh, is a key lever to play. Mm -hmm. um, who is the man who said culture eats strategy for breakfast? Yeah. I don't agree with that entirely. I think he's got a point. It doesn't eat the strategy. You've got to have a strategy mm -hmm. and the culture mm -hmm. to get the best out of it. Mm -hmm. But is one more important than the other? Don't know, but but they're equally important. You've got to have both again, I think. Yeah. So for leaders, you know, perhaps like you know, one of your clients there that is feel perhaps that it's something that they shouldn't or can't touch. How? What? Yeah, what? Sort of look at it from outside and say, well, there's a culture over there developing in that time. Not, oh, I don't like that. Well, do something about it, you know, go and get stuck in. Yeah. If, if their sales numbers were down, they would go and do something about it. If the culture is not what they want, they tend not, I mean, being very generalized, yeah. I'm just slightly in shock from the client I was talking to yeah. only some weeks ago, who just literally abdicated any responsibility for, uh, or knowledge about you know, what he needs to do. So. Yeah. So, so if somebody or a leader is seeing this kind of developing, what are some tangible things that they can do to pivot this culture if they see a culture breeding that they're not necessarily, that's not necessarily what, what they wanted to create? What can they do to course correct that? Yeah, good question. I mean, there's all, all measures from if you, one of the toughest decisions as a leader is a high performer who is working contra, contrary to the, against the culture that you, you've stated. Mm -hmm. And I think there are some good examples in history where the high performer, who is not a culturally assimilated person, if that's the jargon mm -hmm. I'm looking for, um, is removed. And mm -hmm. there's a very strong message in there. Mm -hmm. We are willing to put culture ahead of performance because mm -hmm. we understand that this person is going to pollute our own. Mm -hmm. So I think there are some symbolic things leaders can do. It's pretty radical. Mm -hmm. But it gets to the point sometimes where you need to make a radical decision to get rid of a particular person who represents what's wrong, even though he or she might be the top performer. Mm -hmm. um, all the way through to the consensual side, come on guys, um, we've seen what we are here to do, mm -hmm. how are we going to do it? Mm -hmm. I think leaders have every right to lay out what it is we're here to do. Mm -hmm. But they come down to everybody and say, put their arms around them and say, right, how are we going to do this? So you create the culture consensus. You cause people to discuss, debate, and be decisive about the culture that they want to drive the results. Mm -hmm. And I think um, there's no universal culture. You know, culture is is appropriate for what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. uh, my early days, I worked in a steel factory. 
culture there is very different from the culture we have in Will It Make Work Go Faster, mm-hmm. and, and it should be. Yeah. Um, a culture on an oil rig is going to be very different from a trading floor in the city down the road here, mm-hmm. and it should be. Mm-hmm. But um, unless you spend time to identify and get clarity around and engagement in this culture, mm-hmm. um, it's um, really difficult to get adherence to it. I think. Mm-hmm. And you know, you mentioned there about like certain individuals, perhaps although their performance is you know top notch, that they're perhaps polluting a culture. What you know, obviously, like removing them from the situation is a kind of radical step that c- can be taken. But what what is your thoughts on um, you know coaching these these people to you know be a better version of themselves if you know they are performing in the results? What what's your kind of view, I guess, on um, coaching individuals across the organisation to give them that self-awareness? I think it's got a hugely critical part to play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's lots of definitions of coaching, but you know, it might be to be the better version of myself. Yeah. And one of the reasons I'm not a better version of myself is I, I'm not aware of what I'm, the impact of what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, now, most people generally are, but there's a lot of people, mysteriously, who don't seek and are not given the feedback about the impact of their behavior. Yeah. You know, if I'm shouting at someone in the office, well, that's fine. But no, the impact on that person. So helping people understand the impact of what they're doing is stage one. And I think mm-hmm. that's a key part of coaching. Yeah. Um, there does come the point where people, even though you show them the impact of this, mm-hmm. just decide, oh, I'm not going to do anything about that. Yeah. Tough, you know? So you have to make a decision about if you can't change the team, you change the team. Yeah, yeah. If you can't change the person, you change the person. But that, yeah. again, is a radical view, but it has to be done at times, and it's often the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, people resist that because the current employment market makes it very difficult to get other people. So I think the obligation is to work really hard in changing the person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think coaching is a hugely important part. I, I would encourage managers to make really clear what the outputs of coaching are. I think coaching has got a name that's a soft name. Yep. And I think if you're taking someone in the example you just given, you know, it's it's a harder conversation. It's a harder edged, uh, results focused conversation that needs to be had. Yeah. Um, rather than a supportive coaching. Yeah. Because you know, I'm not supporting you to carry on like this. I'm actually trying to change your behavior. And that's a different type of coaching as you well know. From, yeah from being, you know, accelerating the right direction, so. Yeah, yeah, so ha- having, yeah, like kind of performance-related coaching and like almost using that as a tool to course correct and, you know, hopefully change that behavior is one thing, but then obviously coaching um, to improve performance or just elevate somebody and that yeah. it, it is, is, an- is another thing. Um, and it depends what t- stage of the career the person is in. You know, yeah. You, you, could have somebody who's a 25 year old who's only done three or four years in work who doesn't understand that they need to change mm-hmm. therefore it's a fairly tough conversation but it's on the journey as opposed to a later in life person who's been around the block for 30 years mm-hmm. and won't change theoretically mm-hmm. that's a much harder thing to do but um, yeah. so we were talking earlier on about the different stages in an organization's career yeah. from startup to teenage to maturity and so forth and you need different people at different stages. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I think coaching 
is when the person is out of sync with what's required for the development of that business. Mm -hmm. And I think startups, very successful startup leaders, understand that they're not going to be useful in the same way through the whole maturity of the business. Mm -hmm. you know, I was telling you about the excitement sitting around the table with three of us, and that's a very different vibe from you know, where you are as a mature, stable organization. So you have to find your, you have to keep renewing yourself mm -hmm. or get out. If you can't renew yourself, are you going to be one of those terrible people that hangs around the office complaining all day long, yeah. uh, which is no good for you or the people around you. But So I think what I was trying to illustrate is that coaching has different reasons with different people, but also different reasons and different maturity of the business. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like an evolution and obviously the business is evolving but we as people can continue to evolve and have to continue to evolve otherwise, like you say, you might not be the right fit at that, at, at that time. I mean, we talk a lot about a growth and a fixed mindset. How, you know, how does this play into you know, the evolution of not just like a business but a person as a whole? What is your take on, on the mindset and can a fixed mindset learn to be a growth mindset like learn to have a growth mindset or do you think it's kind of clear cut be really disappointing if you couldn't learn my whole career would have gone down the black yeah. hole basically if i didn't think yeah. I can change people um so i do firmly believe that with the right feedback the right information the right support the right leadership the right mm -hmm. coaching people can change. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's a fixed mindset that stays fixed. Mm -hmm. There are different degrees of difficulty to get out of that. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm lucky enough to be of the growth mindset from minute one in my life. Yeah. Um, in fact, we have one of our values in our business, which is be more Tom. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, let's turn up to meetings on time and do all the rest of it, but there's be more Tom. Yeah. Uh, by which they mean, I think, approach everything with a sort of open mindset about what's possible, bring energy to things. So, mm -hmm. um, and I think, again, Ben, you would imagine eight athletes pursuing the Olympic gold medal would all be of an open growth mindset, but yeah. actually, no, they, they had all shades of people who were a bit more conservative and people who were open. And um, they came up with this wonderful phrase uh, about taking control of the day, which is, today is going to be a good day because I'm going to make it a good day. Mm -hmm. So you could go through a four-year cycle of training with a sort of flat, closed mentality mm -hmm. and actually today's going to be a good day because I'm going to make it a good day mm -hmm. requires you to put your energy and effort into getting the best results and uh, I think that's what I like that phrase. Yeah no I'm a firm believer of that as well that it's you know all perspective and you know you and I might see the same thing happening but what you know <laughs> basically my mindset or my perception will dictate you know what it is that I, I'm looking at this is what you are and um, I do think you know positivity comes into so positivity yes that's one thing uh, building the right belief I think mm -hmm. um, there's a lovely phrase that belief is a feeling that seems like a fact mm -hmm. and it'd be really easy to feel that nothing's going to happen today and therefore it becomes a fact oh mm -hmm. nothing's going to happen well, well who said you know yeah so changing your belief or your perception about things mm -hmm. Uh, is a really you can do that and again in our work with clients and with ourselves we have a process straight from Ben's uh, experience in the Olympic team uh, what we call building an evidence wall mm -hmm. so um, just saying to someone be more positive yeah well really 
Yeah. Look, look, look what's going wrong. So you seek out deliberately the small pieces of evidence that are going to get you towards your goal. Mm -hmm. And they may be simple things like a client telling you you're doing wonderfully or you've manufactured a new product, you know, a small little piece, whatever. Yeah. But you build this literally onto an evidence wall. Mm -hmm. uh, in our office is a you know, poster the size of that window and it's got lots of different things. The evidence that builds the belief that we can do this crazy goal that we've set out to be world class mm -hmm. at um, helping others with their, with their gold medals. Yeah. Um, so I think you have to support this positivity and belief with clear evidence. Yeah. Um, otherwise it sort of is all puff and wind really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's those beliefs that are kind of uplifting and inspiring and you're saying there, you know, you, you use evidence to, to su support that you are getting closer. Um, you know, we use a really simple like question actually, if it's like a belief that's maybe kind of, you know, a limiting belief and something that's holding you back is, is it true? And yeah. I think sometimes asking people that, you know, force well. It's a feeling that seems like a fact. Basically. Yeah. You're questioning whether it's a fact. In their mind, it's a fact that I'm no good at swimming, or mm -hmm. I'm no good at selling, or I'm no good at spreadsheets or whatever. Mm -hmm. Is it a fact? Mm -hmm. you, you probably have, the normal tools of the trade of going and asking other people to say, um, do I think you're no good at, no, well, no, I don't, where did you get that from? You know? Yeah. So there's that piece. Um, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, helping people understand that the truth is in one person's mind, it's not universally shared. Yeah, no, definitely. One thing, you know, obviously, in the world of like you know leadership performance and coaching we're obviously working with people and individuals and um, to you know work with their soft skills uh, a lot of the time and a key piece that always comes in is, is around measurement and like measuring the performance what is your approach at will it make the goat boat go faster there's lots of goats in what is your approach at will it make the boat go faster to measuring impact and performance of the initiatives that you work with clients on how do you do that so it starts from the very top so our crazy goal is to be world-class at helping our clients and our employees our colleagues win their gold medals uh, and underneath that we have three what we call concrete goals and one of them is to enjoy our lives the mm -hmm. other is to smash our targets mm -hmm. the third one is to make a difference mm -hmm. so it start measurement starts off right at the beginning of our raison d'etre and we do measurement with clients um, we have a process which uh, there's a famous man in the leadership and training world called McLennan who produces varieties I and mean, what's the impact on a thought did you enjoy the session mm -hmm. uh, has it changed your mindset has it changed your behavior but ultimately what we all want is the results of all that it's mm -hmm. not very good changing my mindset but if I haven't actually change my results. So we, we generally borrow that um, four-step uh, model and help people understand all those different changes. Mm -hmm. um, it depends what the client is wanting, of course, mm -hmm. so it's not a universal. Yeah. Some clients want to excite people about the new vision for their business, mm -hmm. so an excitement metric is yeah. are you more excited or less excited as yeah. a result of doing what you so we will do the pre-measurement around certain agreed metrics. We'll do the post-measurement after an intervention, a workshop, a conference. And then three months later, roughly six months later, we will start asking for evidence of the results of doing, of the learning you've done. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing what comes up. Mm -hmm. um, it's, um, yeah, it can be 
I've sold more. Selling is a really easy thing to yeah. catch on. I sold that contract because I did what you told me to. Yeah. Um, software development is much more difficult because yeah. it's a, a team sport. And was it you or was it me? Mm -hmm. But we find ways to do all that, mm -hmm. and we lay it all out very consistently. So we, we, our proudest bit in our business, I think, is the pre-measurement and the post-measurement. We look at the difference between the two, and we have that as a metric for our company. Mm -hmm. um, we want to increase the pre and the post measurements on the pre measures by X. Mm -hmm. And yeah, obviously having that tangible ROI is always um, a much easier sale into you know organisations and, and businesses. I'm keen to understand what um, what impact or what shifts have you seen you know pre and post pandemic in regards to like the demand for, for these kind of you know, services and there's like, um, I guess, investing in the people that work there so that they can, you know, continue to produce results. H have you seen a shift? And if so, what does that look like? Um, before I answer that question, I just remembered a story that happened in a building about half a mile down there in the city. Yeah. Uh, I'll come back to that one. It's about measurement. I, in the previous business, we yeah. all just spent a lot of time asking our clients about how you measure things yeah. and, and the metrics you're looking for and can we measure them. And I went to the managing director of a big Japanese trading bank. Mm. Um, they did currency trading and uh, options and swaps. And mm. um, this was a high octane environment and they had about three and a half minutes to spend on anything every, you know, yeah. every, every day. And they, so they made shed loads of money and they, everything that took them away from making shed loads of money was not a good thing. So, right. so the managing director was persuaded by me to run a leadership course, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And I very you know, cleverly said, well, how are you going to measure the impact of this mm -hmm. training program, this investment? And he said, if they return after lunch. Okay. And I always remember that. Yeah, yeah. You know, we all come up with all these spreadsheets and all these metrics. And he just said, if they come back after lunch, they will be voting with their feet that this is worth it. And if they don't, well, tough. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. So back to your question. Um, Pre and post COVID, how has? Yeah, so, um, yeah, and I just had a comment actually when, when you said that there around if they come back after lunch, it's, you know, working with clients at the moment. And, you know, one of the questions um, we ask is, how will you know that you've got yeah. value from this? And, you know, you think that they're looking for this complex metrics and reports, but actually, you know, for them, it's just, well, if our people, Say that they're getting value from it yeah. that's that's a, that's enough for us um so i think you know understanding that their employees are learning and and growing from that is is probably so that's one bit i mean i'm not going to phrase this correctly but i was always amazed i remember going to yeah, some years ago um where it's employee enjoyment or learning is not the fun is not the purpose of yeah. training so um i had a challenging workshop where mm. I was passing the message of the company down with the directors of the business to mm. a group of employees who were, to say the least, fed up with the whole thing. Yeah. And they didn't learn and they didn't develop at all. Yeah. And I went back and had the discussion with the directors and the directors said, well, that's fine. They got the message loud and clear. So mm -hmm. the purpose of what they were doing was to get the message across. Right. It wasn't to help them develop. So I say that extreme example because it is not always about learning and developing. It is often the agenda of the client, mm -hmm. of, the, of the company I should say, over the participant mm -hmm. rather than the participant over the company. And I think clearly what you're going to try and get to is the 
participant, the employee, gets a huge amount out, but also the company gets a huge amount out. And those are the two metrics you have to have. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if you have a highly enthused, energetic employee, but the company doesn't feel it's got its pound of flesh out of this, mm -hmm. that's not a good deal. Yeah. Yeah, it's trying to balance the needs for the individuals, but the organization as a whole as well. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think so. And of course, we're talking about, you know, there's a whole scope from A to Z. Yeah. Um, and you can always argue one or the other, but broadly, in the marriage of the company gets what it wants out of it. Yeah. It gets performance out of its employees. Yeah. And the employees get what they want out of it, which is engagement and satisfaction. And if you can marry those two together, then you're in the business. You're on to a, a gold medal. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, just, just a few more questions. So, um, in terms of the demand um, for, you know, like, so in terms of like the investment in people and people development, what shifts have you seen in that area? You know, n knowing that you know retention, like employee retention, is a huge um, is a huge headache at the moment for you know HR leaders and businesses across across the country. Um, have you seen a shift in investment into like um, developing leaders and teams? Um, with will it make the boat go faster? Yes, I think it went in phases. We're now speaking in May 2023. Covid started in March 21. Is that right? Or 2020. 20. Yeah. Well, yeah. Time flies. So three years ago. Yeah. And we all started getting back to work in 21 collectively. Mm -hmm. And there was a huge uh, drive to getting people together. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what they were talking about, just get them all together. Yeah. So we helped facilitate a lot of purposeful getting people together. Yeah. Then it um, dawned on people that actually we need to remind people what we're all here to do yeah. um, looking forward. Because I think it was quite easy in COVID to be in the present or looking in the past. You know, just surviving was a basic thing we need to do. Yeah. Once we got over the survival element, we started looking forward. So we had another phase for about another year, I would say, where people were re-articulating and re-clarifying and re-communicating what this business is here to do. So mm -hmm. goal setting, you know, what's our crazy goal for the business? It mm -hmm. may have changed, what are our control layers, what are our concrete goals? Um, they may well have changed, but that was another phase. Mm -hmm. I think now people are asking how do we engage people in those goals mm -hmm. in a different way than we did previously. Mm -hmm. So you know, the obvious one that everyone's aware of is how often do we come in to work? Yeah. And I think managers have lost a bit of their confidence about asking people, telling people to come into work. Yeah. Yeah, there is a huge benefit for getting people to come into work. And you look at some of the uh, outliers, I think it was Goldman Sachs, was it Goldman Sachs, one of them, or JP Morgan, you know, where they're going to be working five days a week. And the deal there is you, know, you lose rather a large sum of money if you don't follow on. But yeah. for normal companies, they seem to have lost, I think, the sort of energy or, or persuasiveness or to, to get people to come in. The benefits are huge yeah. um, for the company and for the individual. Mm -hmm. But somehow we're letting the individual alone override the, the, the joint needs. So yeah. I think how we, how we as leaders and managers 
sort that conundrum out is going to be really critical, I think. Mm -hmm. um, having said that, earlier on in our interview here, we were talking about how you give feedback to people mm -hmm. over uh, teams and so forth. So mm -hmm. clearly, I don't think it's going to be five days a week. Yep. But it's got to be a much more happy medium than I think there is in many companies at the moment. Yeah. And I'm worried that in five years' time, we're going to wake up with a whole generation of people who are going to be underskilled because they haven't sat around and learned from each other mm -hmm. or haven't experienced you know, the community and the fun and games of work. Yeah. And people come to work as groups because it's really good fun. Yeah. Sitting at home by yourself with the laundry drying in the background, I mean, it's not much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think we need to remind people or sometimes just tell people that's what work is about. Yeah. Um, in a way they may not have experienced before. So. Yeah, well that's it. We obviously all spend a lot of time at work or working and whether that's with people or remotely and I, I agree that the whole purpose is, is to, you know, have fun and enjoy ourselves, you know, while we're doing it because, you know, we spend so much time there it would be awful not to enjoy it. Um, also, I think Ben um, in, in his book, Will It Make the Work Go Faster? Um, talks about uh, looking at single scullers. So in rowing, you have eight people in a boat, four people in a boat, two people in a boat, or one person in a boat, and it's called the sculling if it's one. And Ben was in an eight, so eight men. And when you won something, it was fantastic. You had eight other people to all go and celebrate with. If you're a sculler, a single person, you go over the line first, well, hooray, well done. Who do you turn to? You yeah. There is a collective social need that work when treated properly answers in the human mm -hmm. and I don't think people have reminded themselves of that enough post-Covid. Yeah, that so there are benefits to be together. Oh. Um, um, and my last question for you Tom before we wrap up is um, what what can we all do you know as individuals to help contribute to this you know culture that you talked about around you know feedback and we talked a bit about positivity and you know working together towards a shared goal what can we all do like regardless of our job titles or you know our roles within business or what industry we're in what can we all do to help contribute to a fun exciting energizing positive workplace I don't know if you're in the prison service that mm -hmm. it's going to be fun, energizing, exciting. But what it is going to be is worthwhile with great purpose and great significance. Mm -hmm. So I think um, let's not fall into the trap of thinking all work has to be fun, exciting, or is it? Mm -hmm. It might be in an advertising firm or you know, creative studios, whatever. But a lot of really important, valuable jobs are hugely significant in mm -hmm. what they do but they may not be fun and exciting. But I think, so what I'm trying to say is reminding people mm -hmm. of the um, purpose of what they're doing, the importance of what they're doing, the significance of what they're doing is really important. Now, it doesn't trump having an improper environment. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, there are organizations where the purpose is the reason you join them. Mm -hmm. and then the fun and games comes from serving that purpose correctly. Mm -hmm. There are organisations where fun and games is the thing and yeah, it's, yeah. it's a bit binary. Um, yeah, having seen the coronation and having seen the armed forces, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, they, this is their fun and games. Yeah. Marching up and down in nice uniforms. The dressing up box of the royals is amazing. I don't know where they get all this from. So, yeah. so they, they have their symbols, they have their uh, communities, they have their 
times like that which they celebrate, mm -hmm. but actually the other half of what they're there to do is very significant and very purposeful. Yeah. I think organisations need to understand, think about, leaders need to think about the two. What's the purpose and how do you communicate that? Mm -hmm. How do you make people feel that they're, they're doing a proper job and you know, mm -hmm. there is value to the job and the significance of the job? And then at the same time, you have to help people be sociable. Yeah. So uniting and galvanizing people around a purpose. Yeah. yeah. Well, around goal, a purpose, a vision, whatever it might be. But absolutely, you've got to work hard at that. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Tom. I really appreciate your time this morning. And thank you for speaking with me.